0: And may it be so, Lord. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, team. Mr. Justice McCready of the British High Court was a confirmed bachelor, never married, and he defined a lifelong singleness as follows. A bachelor is a man who looks before he leaps, and having looked, he doesn't leap. Now, to balance this… I want to tell you about a single lady who was single by choice, absolutely by her own choice. Her name was Harriet Hubburn. She died at the age of 87. She left the following sentence in her will. I do not want anybody to put the word miss, that's M-I-S-S, on my tombstone, for I have not missed as much as some people might think. (laughs) Some of you know the name William Jennings Bryant. who used to be Secretary of State. In fact, he ran for president. He uh, went to call upon his future father-in-law to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage. Now, the father-in-law happened to be a preacher. So William Jennings Bryant spent a lot of time trying to figure out some Bible passage, some Bible text, some verse that he can use to impress his future father-in-law, who is the preacher. And so as he prepared, he goes in and he quotes the Scripture to his father, future father-in-law. He said, Sir, Solomon said, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Well, of course, the preacher was not going to be outdone by (laughs) a politician, you know, quoting the Scripture. Uh, This is, of course, to say nothing about how daddies don't like to part with their little girls. And and so the future father-in-law quoted the Scripture back to him, which happened to be the text that was read to us this morning from which I'm going to preach. The preacher quoted this text, and he said to William Jennings Bryant, he said, "Uh, Young man, the apostle Paul said… He who marries does well, but he who does not marry does better. Well, he was taken back. He literally caught by surprise, and, and he, and, but he recovered very quickly. He said, yes, sir, but Paul did not have a wife when he wrote those words. But Solomon had 700 wives. <laughs> Therefore, he's a great authority on marriage. <laughs> I hope you already turned with me... The passage that was ably read to this morning, First Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 8, and if you're visiting with us, we are dead smack in the middle of the series of messages of living a healthy life in a sick world. This is, comes from the epistle of First Corinthians, and we're seeing how much of the Corinthian culture and the Corinthian church is mirroring our 21st century culture and church. But this passage probably has some of the richest, if not the richest, passages regarding marriage, singleness, salvation of family members. It's a very. If I've been asked once, I don't know how many times I've been asked about an unbelieving spouse or an unbelieving children and who and what and where, and I'm always going back to First Corinthians chapter seven. So now I'm going to expand on it. So when somebody asks me, I'm going to give them the CD. (laughs) Now, the bottom line in this passage, I always give you the bottom line first, and I go back and expound it. (laughs) The bottom line here, and I'll refer to it again and again, I'll conclude with it, because that is the very heart of this passage. The apostle is saying, neither being married or being a celibate is superior to the other, neither is superior to the other. And that is why uh, the apostle here exhorts us uh, that married or singles, he gives a message to everybody. And he deals with that in details. I'm going to come to it. But he he says, the most important thing that you must do, I must do, we all must do, is to learn how to be contented in Christ and how to be contented where Christ has placed us. This is the principle from which all the other principles flow. Look at verses 12 all the way to 14. 12, 13, and 14. The apostle said, For the non-believing spouse is, if the the non-believing spouse is happy to live with the believing spouse, then he or she should stay. Now, why is he saying that? Because he knows from the entire Scripture that God loves families, that God loves to deal with families. And when a non-believing spouse is willing to live, accept, and respect the, non, the, the believing spouse, therefore God somehow, somewhere, sometime has a blessing for that non-believing spouse. Can I get an amen? Oh, to be sure, <laughs> to be sure, listen, I'm always realistic. Uh, Sometimes it takes time for that plan to be fulfilled. It may take a lot longer than you like. It may frustrate you at times, and it may make your life hard at times. It may make you wish that you married a believing spouse sometime. But do not despair. God has a blessing in store for you. And for your non-believing spouse, if he loves you and contented to live with you and stay with you. Verse 14. This is a very important verse. It's a key verse. If you have your own Bible with you, and if you have your iPhone or iPad or whatever you're using, highlight it, underline it. It's a very important verse. It is a truly comforting verse in the Scripture. It is comforting for all parents who are tormented about their unbelieving children or an unbelieving spouse. It is a comforting verse. Verse 14, he makes the most amazing statement here. Otherwise, your children are unclean. When he said to the non-believing spouse to stay with the believing spouse, if he's, if he's happy to stay with the believing spouse, then stay with him even, her, even if he's not a believer. And he said, otherwise, your children are not clear. What does that mean? What in the world does it mean? Here's a, I'm going to explain to you. Beloved, listen very carefully. God looks at the family as one unit, even though they may be divided spiritually. The entire family is graced by God, even if it's only one believing spouse, even one believing member. God makes covenants with family, and in His sovereign economy, in His sovereign plan, in His sovereign knowledge, When one member of the family is brought to the kingdom of God, brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, somehow, somewhere, sometime, God has a blessing in store for the whole family. God blessed Pharaoh because of Joseph. You remember Abraham interceding on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember that? And he starts exhibiting Middle East characteristics. you got to understand, in the Middle East, we bargain for everything. I mean, it's not much fun if you don't bargain. You just pay the price. You you bargain. And Abraham was bargaining with God. I mean, you see bargaining in Middle East, bargaining here at its best form. (laughs) Because he has lost touch with his selfish, self-centered nephew, Lot, and he, is not really know, he does not know how many believers in the Lot's household. So Abraham approaches his friend God, and he says, "God, if there are 50 members in the uh, uh, righteous people in Sodom, would you spare the city?" And God said, "Yes." And then he said, what about a forty, God? <laughs> he said, yes. What about thirty, God? They <laughs> were still bargaining, you know. What about twenty? Because Abraham is not sure really how many in Lot's household who consider to be righteous. And so he goes all the way to ten, and he said, if there are ten, would you spare the city? And God said, yes. But alas, there were not ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. were well, not ten. Only Lot, his wife, his daughters, and God was willing to spare that evil, wicked people of Sodom and Gomorrah if there were ten righteous people there. The bottom line is this. Listen, beloved. God will bless. God will spare the willing, non-believing spouse to live with his believing or her believing spouse. Now, I want to have a word for those spouses who are not yet believers and may not be in this place, but those who are watching around the world. You may be an unbelieving spouse, and you're watching your spouse living a godly life, and she prays for you, or he prays for you. And you are dragging your feet about coming to Christ, and your believing spouse is praying for you. Listen to me. God has a blessing for you, my friend, because of your believing spouse. God has been patient with you because of your believing spouse. Uh, God is holding His arms wide open to welcome you because of your believing spouse. Don't put off the very secret of joy in life. The same goes for the non-believing children. Look at verses 15 and 16. But if the non believing spouse decides to leave his believing spouse, then the believing spouse should not feel at all guilty about that. Not whatsoever. At this point, the believing spouse is no longer under the bond of marriage. Please listen to me very carefully. The marriage bonds can be broken in two ways either by death, or when a non-believing spouse decides to leave a believing spouse. Whether you agree with me or agree with the Apostle Paul with the Word of God or not, did you hear me? Thank you. Now, Paul is very clear here in this passage, and as he elsewhere is very clear, and that's why it's very important in this generation in which we live to understand this and learn the principles here in the Scripture. There is so much erroneous teaching about this subject, and it goes, runs the gamut from extreme pharisaic, legalistic teaching all the way to very licensed uh, sin, license for sin under the guise of grace, In extend the whole gamut. In fact, I read number of years ago about a woman who ended up in mental institution because she followed a a false teacher, a false preacher. Here's her story. Her non-believing husband was abusive husband. That should not happen, absolutely, absolutely. No such thing should happen in a home. But this abusive husband finally left his believing wife, and God in his mercy brought her a lovely Christian man, and so she's married to him. This evangelist, this false teacher, this pharisaic legalistic teacher said to her that she has sinned against God, and she needs to leave her believing husband, this wonderful Christian man, and go back to her abusive husband. Now, beloved, listen to me. After she already been divorced, and he placed her under guilt that she had to do that, false teaching. Are you listening? Be careful of erroneous teaching that is filling the airwaves that are filling our, 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 our churches. Don't listen to legalistic advice. Don't, in fact, don't listen to advice when it comes to the issues of life. I'm going to come to that in a minute. Because both extremes, legalism and license under the guise of grace, both are alien to biblical teaching. Look at verses 18, 19, and 20. It must be fully understood in the context of this church and of this city, Corinth. Regardless of the advice that people might give you, regardless of advice that friends might give you, uh, uh, and, and no matter how good those friends are, and, uh, and, and, and I want you to listen very carefully. This is the Word of God go to God in prayer, stay on your knees, discern the will of God, stay with the Word of God, and let God guide you. Not friends, good as they may be. In fact, John Wesley, the great evangelist, the founder of the Methodist Church, listened to friends, and he ended up in the most miserable marriage of all. It's the saddest thing. As you know, John Wesley, one of my heroes, because he chose to listen to the advice of friends. Here's his story. Let me tell you very quickly in case you don't know it. John Wesley, at the age of 32, left England and came to the state of Georgia, United States, and when he came here as a missionary, just remember the Brits, uh, some of them actually still think that we're a mission field. (laughs) But that's okay. it's always been a mission field. For them. So, he came here as a missionary. And when he came to, he fell in love with the Georgia peach. Now, for those of watching around the world and say, what is the world is the Georgia peach? That's what we call the beautiful southern ladies. Just don't want to get an explanation here. <laughs> and John Wesley fell in love with this woman, and he wanted to marry her. She happened to have been a daughter of a very prominent judge in Savannah. Some of his closest colleagues and friends and advisors uh, tried to convince him that remaining single is much better for him for marriage because that way he can dedicate his time and his life for serving the Lord. And, and, and the man was torn. And finally, one of his friends suggested they would draw lots. So they wrote three strips of papers. One strip says, Marry. The other strip said, think of it not this year. And the third one said, think of of it not at all. And they put those three strips of paper in a container. And John Wesley closed his eyes and put his hand, and he drew this strip of paper and said, think of it no more. With a broken heart, with a broken heart left the United States, and went back to England, ending his courtship. Fast forward 15 years later, at the age of 47, Wesley marries a very wealthy widow in England who turned out to be an extremely poor companion, uh, to put it mildly. She hindered his ministry. After 20 years of married... Not bliss, but misery. <laughs> she left him, and he, le- he lived alone for the rest of his life. I have been, and I've, my, some members of my family, I've taken member of my families. I told you John was one of my heroes. We went to that house, in if in England, you can go and visit, it's still there, the chapel where he preached, and the little house that he lived in, and lived there alone for so many years until he died, he was in his 80s. The point is this. Listen to me. Do not start by listening to people. You start by listening to who? You stay on your knees until you hear who? You open the Word of God, and you read the Word of God when important matters of life. Now, later on, the saints confirm. I believe in the confirmation of the saints. I lived by it. A confirmation of the sense is one thing, but going in and getting people advice before you go to the Lord and seek Him with all your heart for your special situation, for your personal life, for your personal walk, it, it, it can cause a lot of heartburn. Listen, I love my prayer partners, and I've been in this prayer partnership for 29 years. I love them dear. I love my friends. I love my family. I love. I, I love to listen to their advice. I listen to anybody. Asked money Johnson. He said to me one time. He said, "I'm in the church because I know you have a teachable heart." I love to listen to everybody, but in ultimately, you and I are responsible to listen to God alone. There are times when you must take the time, patience, and perseverance to discern the mind of God. In fact, there's a story circulating about John Wesley, about his miserable marriage, and someone asked him—now, I don't know if this is an apocryphal or not, it's in a lot of the biographies— and somebody asked him, Mr. Wesley, have you, ever faced, have you ever met the devil face to face? He reputedly said, no, but I'm married to his sister. (laughs) Please me out on this one. Friends are great. They are wonderful. Friends can be truly a gift from God. But when it comes to important issues in life, when it comes to the impactful decisions in your life, You need to only listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I can tell you some people are watching right now. I know one particular person watching from home because of ill health, but he knows in those very early days how many people told me not to start this church. And it's a bad idea. And I remember driving back after a meeting with these folks, and, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. He said, when did I tell you to go and check with them? When did I ask you to go and get their approval? It's what I laid in your heart. You need to obey me. Good and godly friends can confirm what God has laid on your heart, but you must take responsibility. It is your responsibility. It is my responsibility, and you need to go and be alone with God. You need to silence all the other noises and listen to Him alone. The point of First Corinthians chapter 7, verses 18 to 22 is this. Listen carefully. You must be contented where you are. You must be contented where God has placed you. You must be contented where God has called you to be. You must be contented in discerning and following the will of God for you. And what is the will of God for me? It's not necessarily for you. What's for you? It's not for him and her. He wants to speak to you. Indi- you see, God doesn't deal in wholesale. <laughs> he deals individually with you and you and you and you. He, he knows you. He put you together as a unique person, and he deals with you uniquely. Can I get an amen? amen. You see, during the time of the Apostle Paul, there were Jews who were ashamed of being Jews. And they did not want to be identified with the stigma of God's people. They acted, they behaved, and they lived like Gentiles. So much so that some of them went through the most painful surgical procedure to become uncircumcised after they're being circumcised as children. That's how much, how much they wanted to be somebody else. By the same token, there were some false teachers like the Judaizers who were invading churches like they did in Galatian, and they're going and telling Christians, oh, you have to be a Jew first before you become a Christian. False. (laughs) And here... As if the great apostle Paul, out of sheer frustrations from all the stuff that was going on, he's saying, Stop! Don't allow the external circumstances to dominate your thinking. Don't allow the outside forces to mold your life. Don't allow peer pressure to shape your morality. Don't let the popular culture squeeze you in its mold. Don't let television and movie stars to be your role model. Young people, are you listening? Don't let false teachers who are not preaching God's Word influence your thinking. Don't allow the discontentment of your friends reflected on on you. Don't let someone who is unhappy and malcontented in their marriage to push you into the breaking up of your marriage. Don't let married people tell single people that they are not fulfilled unless they get married. Can I get an amen? amen? Be contented where God has placed you. And that is the secret to the blessing. God will bless you. If you are listening to Him and obeying Him, He will give you fulfillment in life. He will answer your prayers. He will make you succeed and prosper when you're trusting and obeying. You know, when I think of discontentment, I think about this wife who was absolutely in despair with the discontentment in her husband's life. I mean... He was just not happy this way, that way, no matter what it is. He was just discontented. And one night he was reading a travel brochure. And he said, I want to do what this travel brochure said. And she said, What's the travel brochure say? He said, That I can go to Mount Sinai and stand on top of Mount Sinai and yell the Ten Commandments. His wife said, Honey, it's a whole lot cheaper if you stay home and keep them. <laughs> <laughs> In the very early days of this church, I didn't have the wonderful pastoral team that we have today. And so our home groups, and we didn't have a building to live, we were renting for six years at Lovett School. And so we started our home uh, ministry, home group ministry literally 31 years ago, almost to the day, and, and, and we, we said from the very beginning, we're going to make these home communities to be, be very inclusive, young and old, married and singles. Why? Because that's what a family is. It's made up of all kinds of age groups. Uh, a believing family of God should have all the ages together instead of segregating them. Now I understand, of course, that some people like to be with their age group, and, I'm, and we provide that, of course. In f- fact, the first uh, young adult ministry ever take place in this church, Johnny, you'll be interested in this. The first young, Johnny's <laughs> pastoring the young adults here, but the, the very first young adult group, they called themselves YAMS. I said, yams? He said, yep, that's our choice. I said, fine. Stands for young apostles, married and singles. (laughs) And in verse 25, the apostle gives us his personal counsel. Not from the Lord, it's a personal counsel. He said, if a single person would go and sit in the office of the apostle Paul and says, Apostle of God, counsel me. What do I do? I think he will ask you this question Are you contented in your singleness? You say, Yes. He said, Great. Let me give you three reasons why you should be where you are and you don't have to feel pressured by the culture or by anybody else. You see, remember this this is the first century. Always, always, always put the Scripture in its historic context. You must always remember, and you must always understand the original context, the original readers to whom the apostle is writing. And then we can apply it to ourselves. Taking a passage and running with it, or a verse, or whatever, caused a lot of heresies through the years. Learn from it. Grow out of it, grow from it. Obey it. But always, always, always ask the question, who were the original readers? What is he writing to them and saying? And so Paul here gives three reasons why back then, why back then, I'm going to repeat that so you understand why back then he's saying singles should be contented to stay singles. Verse 25 to 28. Chapter 7, that's the first reason. He said, because of the present distress. Now, you have to understand that literally the persecution was heating up so bad that within a matter of few years from the writing of this epistle, Nero was covering Christians with wax and letting them burn at his garden to light up his garden parties. Uh, believers were shown in animal skin and they're thrown to wild dogs and to hungry lions to be devoured. And Paul's personal counsel to single people back then, I keep saying, back then is this, because of the persecution, it is difficult enough for one for the individual, and the pain is severe enough, but multiply that pain when it comes to a spouse and children. Back in the 80s, I used to travel all over North Africa, and, and really the persecution was really heating up back then. It was really hard, and I've been there several times. I've preached in Tunisia and Morocco, and, and many times in my visit, the young people would come and they would meet with me, and most likely often used to be in my hotel room because we could not, didn't have a church and we couldn't be meeting in public. And, and, and the burden of their heart is, should we marry? I mean, it breaks my heart. Should we marry when we are living under the threat of going to jail at any time? My answer is always what the Word of God says. Do you have the gift of celibacy? Therefore cherish it, value it, use it wisely, use your resources wisely, use your time wisely. But he's saying more than this. Here he's saying more than this. He's saying that given our human nature, whatever problems you have, or whatever uh, problems we are facing, they are multiplied in marriage. I'm not going to ask you to say amen. I know, because I want to go home too. Beloved, listen to me. Close living allows our partners to see our faults with a magnifying glass. Oh, yes. (laughs) It's not like dating. And when you were dating, remember those days? Some of you still probably doing it now. Um, When you're dating, you put on the rose-colored glasses, and you have this tingly feeling. (laughs) You know, back when I used to do weddings, my goodness, I used to really kind of unfortunately, put a pin in their balloon. <laughs> they don't like me very much. <laughs> I mean, you feel on top of the world, and, and, and you live in that fog of romance and optimism, and, and you only see the good points about the person you're dating. You know what I'm talking about? You're blind to their shortcomings. Huh. Maybe that's God's mercy, so otherwise we'll never marry. <laughs> 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 but when that excitement's wear off, a couple can drift in opposite extremes. Beloved, I now saw it with those two eyes in the past almost 50 years in ministry. The couples who were attracted to each other because of certain traits are exact traits that separates them. That is called by scientists, Reverse reasoning. Have you ever heard of reverse reasoning? you heard of it now? Here's, here's an example of reverse reasoning. Here's how it goes. She married him because he's strong and masculine. She wants out because his toxic masculinity. That's the big buzzword these days. He married her. Because she's fragile and petite. <laughs> he wants out because she's weak and needy. Right? She chose him because he knows how to provide well. She wants out because he's a workaholic. <laughs> he married her because she's steady and sensible. He wants out because she's boring and dull. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I know many of you have seen this. Um, I have seen people literally play games in their heads. Literally play games in their head. I think most of us do, but, but some really got to an extreme. It's like that sweet couple who are in the late, late 80s. They've been married for 50 years. So, on the 50th anniversary that morning, the husband got up, as he always did, and he prepared breakfast for his wife, and he, 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 he toasted the, the crust of the of the bread. He made the toast and he brought it to her. As she looked at it, after 50 years of silence, she just exploded. I am sick and tired of you giving me the crust of the bread. Every day you make me the crust of the bread. And she just went berserk. And he looked at her with absolute astounding face saying, but that's my favorite part. Furthermore, why didn't you say something in 50 years? So the lesson is don't bottle it up. Don't bottle it up for 50 years. (laughs) Paul was realistic enough to the point that he's saying that while marriage solves some problems, it can create a whole lot more. Just be forewarned. It's not my words. Just be like that British friend Judge McCready. Think twice before you leap. Now I love the reality of this country boy who was getting married. And the preacher who was marrying them was one of those people who use Elizabethan English. You know what I'm talking about? Wilt thou have this woman to be thy lawful wedded wife? And this young fellow looked at him and said, I wilt, I wilt. <laughs> and he did. Listen, when you put a man and a woman together to become one without the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God, and the presence of God in the home, you might as well try to put an octopus in a sock. (laughs) Think about it. (laughs) Think about it. Two distinct personalities, two likes and dislikes, two emotions, two characteristics, two temperaments, Two set of wills, and you throw children in in there for good measure, and you have your hands full. Second reason as to why Paul is telling those who are single, if they have the gift of being single, they remain single. He said the shortness of time, the shortness of time. The focus in these verses 29 to 34, the focus here is that the world is passing away. It's passing away. although God ordained heterosexual marriage, although God blesses heterosexual marriage, and yet marriage is not eternal. Jesus said in Matthew 22:30. He said, in heaven, they'll neither be marrying or given in marriage. We're going to be like the angels, he said. You know, when people say to me, oh, that's a marriage made in heaven. I have always, always one response. I've never varied it. I'm not that smart. I've not varied it. Yes, so is thunder and lightning. But even when there is such a thing as a marriage made in heaven, in heaven will be no marriage. (laughs) Marriage is designed only for this world. I know the Mormons and other sects contradict Jesus, and they say, yeah, we will be married in in heaven, but I don't know whether they're going to make it. But uh, regardless of your marital situation, here's what he's saying. Paul is saying, regardless of your marital situation, put God first. Put God at the center of your life. Put God and His will in their rightful place. Why? Because Paul knew that even if a person remains single, that is not a guarantee. I'm going to repeat it. Even if the person remains single, it's not a guarantee that this person will devote his or her energy and and their life to Christ. They can be selfish and self-centered and self-focused. And so the issue is, whatever you are, whatever state of marital situation you're in, put God first. And so here he bunches bunches them together, single and married. And he says, because of the shortness of time, do not live in sorrow. Do not let sorrow eat you up. Do not let happiness be your ultimate pursuit. Do not let worry consume you. Do not let your possessions possess you. Don't let your physical needs be all of your focus. Thirdly and finally, verses 36 to 40, he said, fathers are not responsible for their children's marriage. Now, I need to stop here. Are you still listening to me? Are you all listening to me? Because this is important. There's a passage here that's a little confusing. Those four or five verses are really confusing unless you understand the culture of that day. You understand what they're talking about here. Because without understanding the context, it can really doesn't make sense. There were many things that within the, cult, the, the Corinthian culture that Paul deals with is not necessarily something that he teaches with a broad brush to all churches. There's certain things. We're going to see that in chapter 11 particularly. There's certain cultural things. You must understand it in, within that culture. And therefore, you can apply it to yourself, but then you must understand it. Again, we learn from it. We learn take principles from it. We love it, we appreciate it, we believe it, but you must always, always, always ask to whom he's writing. Back then, fathers were the final decision makers as to whom their daughters should marry. Some of the Christian fathers in Corinth specifically felt that in the light of this rampant immorality, that they ought to dedicate their baby girls to never marry. Now, thank God <laughs> we don't do this. We only dedicate babies to grow and know love Jesus. Amen? Many of them did. They, they, they vowed to God that they will keep their little babies, baby girls to grow up to be virgins. But when daughters grew up, They didn't like this idea of daddy making the decision for them when they were babies and they want to get married. What happened? Christian fathers felt guilty about their vows that they made to the Lord when their daughters went ahead and got married. And Paul is saying to the fathers, they should not in the least feel bad about this. They should not in the least feel guilty about this. Young daughters are free to marry and Make their own decisions as adults, regardless of what you fathers did or said on their behalf when they were little. I hope this will clarify this passage for you. And that is why I needed to give you that explanation in context. As I bring this word to an end, I want to leave you with this overwhelming since here, which I started with, I started with, and I concluded with, and I emphasized throughout the message. And beloved, it is this, learn to be contented wherever you are. Learn to love God and His kingdom wherever He placed you. Learn to put God and His kingdom first and foremost, because when you do that, God will make you to be an overcomer. He's going to make you victorious. He's going to bless you out of your mind. You will be blessed in ways that you actually never thought possible. Can I get an amen from both singles and married? Can you stand with me? Precious Heavenly Father, I for one and so indebted to you for your word for instructing us for exalting us for convicting us and for blessing us and for helping us to know how to live a spiritually healthy life in this sin-sick world. And so, Father, I pray that what we just heard would not disappear in the next hour or two, a day or two, a week or two. But, Father, that we would truly learn contentment, for in it is a great reward. We thank you, Father, for your work, and I ask you to bless it. To all of us, the speaker and the listeners, in Jesus' name, amen.